0: We're walking through the gospel of Luke, just recently finishing up, you know, the greatest sermon ever given. And we got to, we have to take Jesus out of the, oh, he's a nice teacher who teaches us how to do some good things. Because if you listen to what Jesus says, he says some bold, offensive things. The whole thing ends with, build your entire life on me. He doesn't say, just go to church more, become a little bit better of a husband, cuss a little less. He says, everything that you are, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you live it completely for me, through me. I mean, that is bold. Jesus offends people. He says, the only way to God is through me. That's intense. Then he challenges us. Okay, are you going to live for me? So as you hear these bold claims of Christ, and then you look at your life, if you look around at the world around us, do you ever wrestle with that? Do you ever ask questions, God, how can that be? Are you truly the only way? God, are you there? Are you listening? Are you moving? You're saying all these things, and you look at your life around you. Do you ever just wrestle with that and question, God, what's going on? In some ways, I want to help us do that, because I think that's where the passage takes us. We're going to see a very prominent figure question Jesus and wrestle with that. And I want to help you do that well. Know what healthy kind of questioning is, why we do it, and how to do that best. Because I have seen so much damage come from this. The shame of, oh, I have questions. And poor responses, I'd be willing to bet somebody in here has been damaged by some of these poor approaches. I'd be willing to bet my year's salary, which isn't massive, but it's significant, you know, it's not nothing, that some of you have been damaged by this response. You had genuine questions in your faith. How does this work? What does this look like? And you heard something along the lines of, don't you question your faith, boy. Don't you question the Lord Jesus Christ. You just believe you have faith. Don't you, don't you question that, boy. Now, I didn't have to do that accent, but it fit kind of with where I was going. (laughs) Tell me you didn't hear that. Don't you question the Bible. Don't you question Jesus. You have faith. I've seen so much damage and shame come from that because I don't think that's what Jesus would tell us as we genuinely come to him with questions. So I want to figure that out. How do we in a healthy way work through these questions? Let's look at this together because I think this passage is so insightful to this. We're in Luke seven. Follow along as I read. The disciples of John reported all the things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. This is one of those passages that just reminds you that this is true. These are not made-up stories. How do I know that? Because if you're making this story up, you would never, ever, ever include this. If you're making this up to try to convince people that Jesus is the one, you'd never include a story where the great prophet, whose job it was to point to the one, had to question that and wrestle through that. You'd never put it in there. I even, you know, reading a bunch of commentators, I mean, this is scandalous, some people tried to wrestle around it. Well, no, surely John wasn't really questioning that. Maybe it was just John's disciples, and so he had them ask Jesus so they could hear, and they're trying to dance around the plain reading of the Scripture. I think John was wrestling with this. You know, this is important, and John needed to ask and make sure, Jesus, are you the one? And then I love Jesus' response he gives them an answer. He helps John work through the question, helps him answer that question, and then he goes on to talk about John and gives John the greatest compliment ever given. I'm not using hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating, and I do a lot. You could ask my wife. I'm prone to exaggeration, but this is literal. I tell you, among those born of a woman, raise your hand if that applies to you. I was waiting to see one hand knock up. I'm like, what happened? So... <laughs> He's given the greatest coming. He said, amongst all people, John is the greatest. Jesus says, look, if I'm ranking people, it's John. Everybody else is fighting for second place, which is troubling to me because I was always schooled, if you ain't first, you're last, which is crazy. There's second place, third place. Sorry. I was watching Talladega Nights right before I wrote this and still, you know what I'm saying? But according to Jesus, there's John, Ricky, Bobby, and then the rest of us are just fighting, <laughs> coming in behind that. I mean, think about what's happening. John questioning Jesus, and Jesus' response is to give the greatest compliment ever given to that guy who's wrestling. And then he goes on, man, I love it. So what does that tell us as we talk about doubts? Has you ever wrestled? I just talked to a guy who works, you know, at a hospital, a child cycling. He hears stories that you wonder, how can this stuff happen? Do you ever wrestle with that? God, are you who you say you are? And if you are, why is this stuff happening? Don't you ever wrestle with that? And I want to give you freedom from some of that shame. Think of this story. The greatest man, you know, who has ever lived, wrestled with it. So can you have freedom to give yourself a place to struggle through these issues of faith? But we have such shame and we beat ourselves up for that. And one way I know that God can handle it is because what is Jesus' response? In some ways, you'd almost expect, you know, John to come and then Jesus to just scold them. How dare he? He had one job to tell people, I'm the one, and now he's struggling. He doesn't do that. He answers the question. He helps him through his issue. Jesus doesn't scold him for wrestling with these beliefs. Jesus helps him. And I'm telling you, I've seen so much damage done by people not being able to experience a freedom to really grapple with their faith. This is a big deal. What Jesus says is bold. Yeah, if you just want to play it safe and just go to church and put God in a little box, maybe you don't wrestle with it. But if you give the call to Jesus to fully live for him, wouldn't you want to wrestle and make sure? I mean, I'm amazed how many times I hear people that were burnt by this. Just this week, I had numerous people coming into my office and had questions. You know, hey, I have questions about my faith. You know, I responded like Jesus responded, because that's what I do, you know. I don't always do that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think this time I did, though. But... You know what happens when people, and I see it all the time, I don't think, without exception, I've had someone come in, hey, pastor, I have questions, I'm wrestling with this, I don't know if I really grasp this, and they're always like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, like, why are you backing up? I'm not going to hit you, like, why? Like, I really think when people wrestling with their faith, like, as they're like, I'm sorry, is it okay to question this? Is it okay? Like, I think they're expecting my response to be like, out of thine office, heathen! Away from the holy ground at which you stand. <laughs> like, I re- like, I'm serious. I watch people like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I usually respond with, hey, that's a good question. Maybe we should look into that. Can you give yourself freedom like John, like Jesus gives us, to wrestle with it in a healthy way? So let me define that a little bit. Okay, what is kind of healthy wrestling and questioning? And then I'll get into why we do that and how to do that well. But I do want to draw a line for us because I think it can get to an unhealthy place. I think one commentator summed it up well. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We can't understand what God is doing. Why is he doing it? Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong, said Oswald Chambers. It may be a sign that he's thinking. In John's case, his inquiry was not born of willful unbelief, but of doubt nourished by physical and emotional strain. Jesus invites you in, says, Take a look at me and tell me that I am not God. See, there is a line I don't want you to cross. At some point, yeah, I mean, the fancy word of apostasy, of just completely turning your back on God, I want you to avoid that. Talk about that line of unbelief. I wrestle as a pastor with all kinds of things of how does that work, God. But I do that still, and it talked about, you know, that act of the will. You can still, you know, by a choice of your will, have faith as you wrestle with things. I read a great book, Faith and Doubt, that was helpful to me. Because all of us think faith and doubt are on the opposite ends of the same spectrum. And if I'm doubting, I must not be a person of faith. I don't think that has to be the case. I can have struggles and questions and still say, okay, I have faith. Let me teach you one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture, Mark 9, 24. A guy comes to Jesus and says this. He says, look, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that's a picture of what's going on. Saying, okay, God, you know, I want to submit to you. I believe, but it's hard. It's hard to wrap my head around all these things. Will you help me? So you can still, in a healthy way, wrestle with things and still hold on to your faith. So I'd encourage you not to cross that line of completely walking away disbelief and all those things. But you can still wrestle. But why does that happen? All right, that's how it kind of want to give us a good grid for healthy questioning, like John. And I think it's pretty obvious the particulars are probably different for everybody, but I think in the end it's about the same for all of us. Why was John doubting is Jesus the one in this moment? Well, it's a very simple answer: Jesus was not doing what John expected him to do. See. John preached Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge. Back in Luke 3, he said he's going to take the axe to the people and people are going to be judged. And Jesus isn't judging people. He's talking about grace and forgiveness. He's confused. Now, everybody, is, you know, in wild agreement, John was probably expecting, remember the context of what's happening. So God's people were under the boot of the Roman army. And John's preaching, the king is coming, and he looks, and it looks like Caesar is still on the throne. This doesn't make sense. John, is safe to say, fully expected Jesus to throw the Romans out. But they aren't. And so, Jesus isn't meeting his expectations. Is that starting to sound familiar? You didn't expect your life to go the way it is. You didn't expect the hard things. You didn't expect, you know, kids to suffer the way they do. God isn't doing what you think he should do. And then we begin to wrestle in doubt. I think this quote, famous quote, you've probably heard it, sums it up well. Sometimes when life is hard and doesn't go the way I expect, I start to question God. Famous quote by all mankind. Sorry, ladies, I got you. All humankind. Tell me if you didn't say that sentence. That's all of us. Man, life doesn't go the way you expect. God doesn't do what you expect. He doesn't meet your expectations. You start to wrestle and question Him. God's, what's going on? Why would you allow this? I think it's a simple formula that all of us experience there's God, unmet expectations. And it leads us to question and doubt. God, are you really who you say you are? Why would you allow this? I mean, this is the common atheistic claim. I can't believe in a God who would allow this kind of suffering to happen. And then we question. The crazy thing. So all of us need to resolve this. So I want to help you kind of find peace in the midst of kind of whatever questions and struggles you have. Whether it's Jesus the really one or, you know, can there are always lead to God or whatever it is you wrestle with, that God doesn't meet your expectations. You know how we find peace? We change God. If you look at that formula, if there's God in our expectations, what do we do to find peace? We change God. I don't believe in a God that would have a hell, so I just change the universe and say, okay, then God must not send anybody to hell. We change God to meet our expectations, thinking that will give us peace. How crazy is that? And again, I'm not judging. I want to give us freedom. That's, I think, the road all of us go on. But God doesn't meet our expectations, and we try to find peace by changing God. To me, that's much more a formula for pride. Pride to go to God and go to the creator of the heaven and earth and say, you shouldn't do that. I know, me, and all my wisdom and all my experience of running universes, I'm telling you, God, you're doing this wrong. Is that really the way to find peace? Do you really think, like, we're going to find peace that God just goes around and meets everybody's expectations? It's impossible. It'd be like having a van full of cruise kids and trying to get them all to agree where to go for dinner. It just, it wouldn't work. There's too many. Like, how does that even happen? Do you understand that? I mean, trying to get God to meet everybody's expectations, it falls apart. I think that Bruce Almighty, you know, I remember when, you know, Jim Carrey has all the powers of God, so he just answers everybody's prayers. It wouldn't work. My favorite example in that is like, everybody hits the lottery but then the payout's only like 12 bucks because 12 million people hit the lottery. Like, it falls apart. You really think God doing and running the universe your way is what's gonna help you in your questioning. Where the, chap, where the next passage goes shows it's not only arrogant, it's impossible. Listen where Jesus goes from there. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in a marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So here now, the Pharisees are rejecting God, and you see the silliness of how it breaks down. They're rejecting God for opposite reasons. They're saying, John's too restrictive, but Jesus, he's too free. John's too depressing. Jesus is too happy. And it's like, which one is it? There are competing expectations. It'd be impossible for God to meet all our expectations, It's like the same as us trying to get the right temperature in this room. It's impossible. I've stopped trying to get complaints. Like the goal is not to not get complaints about the temperature because it's going to happen. It's to get equal complaints on both ends. Now we know. (laughs) Like I'll have somebody come up to me like it's freezing cold in there. And I'm like, you see the dude next to you? He's pitted out. Like he's sweating. (laughs) I can't, I can't, you know, it's impossible It's physical, it would have to be 60 and 80 degrees in here at the same time. Do you get some of what I'm saying? The silliness of God just meeting your expectations and you find peace that way? Because they compete. Some of you are disappointed with God, and I can't believe a God that would allow a terrorist organization. We need to just bomb them and wipe those people out. Some people can't believe in a world where anybody would get bombed and there's war. Who wins? Who decides? Let me get very real with you on this one because I know I've heard this one a ton. I cannot believe. Someone will come to my office and say, I cannot believe in a God that would send anybody to hell. And then I've heard this as well. I cannot believe in a God that would allow my abuser in heaven. Let me ask you a question. You get those same questions from two people. Who gets to decide who God is? Somebody's got to pick. Somebody's got to decide. They can't be together. Some people would say, I can't imagine a world where there's a hell. Some people say, I can't imagine an eternity where hell is allowed into heaven. It doesn't make sense. In some ways, God just creating the world that fits you doesn't work because he can't do that for anybody. It's pure silliness. So who gets to decide? In some ways, do we allow God to be God? But that's why we all struggle. God disappoints you in your life. and How do we work through that well? That's where I want to end and kind of finish there. First off, whenever you're wrestling, whatever your wrestle is, I want you to ask the right people, what does John do well? He has this question. He asks Jesus. He takes his question to Jesus And you get to, well, that's not fair. Jesus was around. Remember, he didn't get to talk to Jesus. John's in prison. And so he sends his disciples. What did John do? He trusted an eyewitness account of what was said about Jesus. That's exactly what you and I have. That's what the Bible is. That's what Luke says the Bible is. It is an eyewitness account of Jesus. Take your questions to God's word. And here, I'm dead serious. Everybody in here has questions. You're lying to me on some level if there's certain things you didn't wrestle with. I want you, whatever that question is, in the quietness of your room, you ask God that question. God, how can this be? And see if he doesn't lead you like he did John to some of the answers, to some resolution. I'm not saying you don't study, you don't do other things. But make sure whatever you're questioning and wrestle with, take that to Jesus. Ask him, God, help me understand this. As you do that, I want you to have the right posture. Part of that right posture is I want you to have, I heard it said, a guy, he was an atheist in Yale, came to Christ. He said, my goal is faith-seeking understanding. He even said the Latin. It was fidei squatum intellectum. I say that because it sounds cool, and I get insecure, so when I say something in Latin, I feel smarter than I really am. But that's the posture I want you to have. Faith seeking understanding. He tells John to use your mind. He doesn't say, you just have faith, boy. Don't you question that. He points him back to God's word. He encourages him. All those things that Jesus told the disciples to tell John about the, you know, the lame walk, you know, the, the lepers cleansed, all those things, he's quoting scripture to him. He's telling John, look, I know I haven't met your expectations, but that doesn't mean I'm not him. I've met every one of my father's expectations. He points him back to prophecy. He tells John, use your mind. Study the scriptures and tell me if I don't hold up. But on some point, look, again, if peace for you is understanding how the entire universe works and getting it to work the way you want you'll never find peace that way. At some point, you have to humble yourself. At some point, you have to say, okay, you're God, I'm not. And you're not doing things the way I want you to do them. In fact, it's the exact opposite. But you're God. And I'm gonna give you the position of God that you have, and I'm gonna surrender myself, submit myself humbly under that. And I hope you get some freedom here, because I wanna share With you something that was shared with me like 20 years ago in a sermon by andy stanley and this was so helpful to me and having the right posture as you work through this listen you need to have your focus in the right place there's the undeniable and the unexplainable say that with me undeniable and the unexplainable so part of the right posture is you need to have the right focus I've seen so many people get trapped forever and walk away from God because they continue to sit and focus on the unexplainable. There are things in this world that you can use your mind and think through it, but there are certain things that I'll never be able to explain. I don't know why God allows this suffering and not this, why God heals this person and not, per, not that person. I can't answer that for you. I wish I could, whatever thing you're struggling with, I wish I could give you the answer. No more than I wish I could know, why did my sister have to die and not their sister? How does that work? I don't know. There's things that we're never going to be able to know, but don't sit forever. Ask the question and focus on things that are just unexplainable. Those will always be there. I can't explain how so many quarterbacks have gone through one NFL franchise in such a short period of time. It's unexplainable. I don't know. I don't know how Keanu Reeves still gets cast in good roles. There's things I'll never understand. It's unexplainable. But how many people, myself included, could get trapped behind the wise? Ask them, but don't get trapped behind them. What Jesus does for John, is reminds him of the undeniable. John, he's, John's going to die. Spoiler alert, John is going to get his head chopped off. That's how it ends for John. But what Jesus doesn't do is explain everything of how it's going to work out. John's here in prison. The Romans are still in power, and what Jesus doesn't say is, hey, don't worry, buddy, this is going to work out. Here's when the Romans are going to come through. Here's why I waited this long for Rome. Rome. And that's what all of us want. When I sit in somebody's hospital, they want me to explain things that are unexplainable. I can't explain whether you're going to get healed or not. I don't know. And I always, like Jesus, push us back to what is undeniable. I don't know why you're sick. I don't know if you're going to get better. What I can't deny is there is one who has brought sight to the blind. There is one who came who brought the dead back to life. And i got to remember, as I wrestle through things, I don't know why this happened, why this won't happen, but I'll tell you what I do know. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be where I am at in my life. You shouldn't be where you are apart from God. I can't deny that. I can't deny that I don't deserve to be up here. I can't deny that God has moved in my life. Does he always do what I expect him to do? Of course not. But i got to go back to what I can't deny. That I have cried out to him. I've heard him speak to me. He is who he says he is. And there's things I'll never be able to explain. But i got to camp out and drive a stake in what I can't deny. And that's who Jesus is. And I've seen him move in my life. So I want you to have the right posture. And I want you to ask the right question. John didn't ask all the unexplainables. It came down to one main fact that John could go and get his head chopped off and still have peace. Are you the one? I want you to wrestle with the right question in your life because if Jesus is God, doesn't it make sense to let him be God? And allow him to provide those answers to the questions and not have it up to me to decide the universe. So I want you in your wrestling to come back to this. And I love that quote. Jesus' invite says, Look at my life and tell me if I'm not God. Through one of my greatest greatest seasons of doubt, and I think it does come in seasons for the most part, I remember, God, can you really be the only way? This seems ridiculous. Why can't all faith systems just be the same? God, this is crazy. Are you really the son of God? This seems crazy. And I heard God kind of whisper the same invitation to me. He said, look, I know life hasn't gone the way you thought, but look at my life. I dare you, I challenge anybody in here. God invited me, look at my life. At what point do I not operate as God? Now, not the, doesn't do what I think. And if you're wrestling with that, you go read the Gospels. You read the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And the conclusion is undeniable. He is God. And then everything else falls under that. But I think what's going on is I want you to deal with and answer the real question in your heart. Because I've seen so many people, we hide behind all these philosophical arguments of the problem of evil and the problem of pain. But I think the real issue isn't just, is there a God in the universe? But will you allow him to be the Lord of your life? Is the real issue not that just that you have a hard time believing that there is a God or the fact that you don't get to be him? Is it really a philosophical problem that there is judgment or you don't get to be the judge and you need to surrender and submit to him? I think in a lot of ways, that's the core of the issue that we need to deal with. Not just is Jesus the one, the question is, will I submit to him? Will I trust him? Is he good? If you look at this passage Is John questioning Jesus? I love as we explore Luke how Jesus continues to jump off the page. In the midst of his doubts, Jesus showers over John. You serve a God, I serve a God when I doubt him and I don't believe in him. He says, That's my boy. I love that kid. That's my son. He's understanding and gracious with my weaknesses. We serve a God who is a healer. And sometimes he heals people in this world and not, but he will eventually heal all of us. We serve a God that is gracious with us. I don't know if you caught this, but I love that little line in there. Do you remember back in the passage, I want you to think where he says, John is the greatest. Yet those who are least in the kingdom are greater than he. We serve a God. What does that even mean? I mean, have you, did you wrap your head around that as we read it? Think of the God that we serve. It's not saying we're all better than John. Every one of us is a better person. We've already settled that. We have a better position than John has. John pointed to the king, and we get to, through Christ, get to be a son or daughter of the king said the tax collectors rejoiced. Yes, you may have a hard time with a God who would allow hell, but it's a God who went through hell so you can avoid it. All of us, tax collectors, sinners, the worst of us, can become greater in the kingdom of God than John, can be called a son or daughter of God. It's hard. You wrestle with it. I wrestle with it, but I want to wrestle with it in a healthy way. Just have faith seeking understanding because I think He is God and I do think He is good. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we confess. And if nobody else in this room does, I confess this is hard. God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I believe, but it is hard to see you move and continue. But I want to be that as a people. That we, by an act of the will, choose to trust you and continue to put our faith in you. But God, it is hard and we thank you that you are gracious with us as we wrestle with this. I pray that people in this room would experience clarity and peace, not by trying to change you, by submitting to you as God, because I am convinced you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.